I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. First Peter 5, 6, and 7. First Peter 5, 6, and 7. And I'm going to talk about the five fingers of God here to preach about it tonight. First Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, I want you to notice something here. It should be up behind me. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's got a colon right there. You see that? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. For you. And if you notice that at the end of, of the sixth verse, what that means is this. Those who humbled themselves before God's mighty hand not only have the future promise of being exalted, but they have a present, present assurance of his care for them. That's what the colon means. That there is both a future and the present is promised to us. So no matter what, the present belongs to God's people. Let the governments rave. Let them do whatever they want. Let them, let them say, let them try, but it belongs to God's people. It belongs to us. It belongs to us. You may be seated in Jesus' name. 1776, there was an author by the name of David McCullough, and he described how George Washington's fledgling army lived on the very edge of defeat. That, that army was right on the edge of it. Not just one time, but, but several occasions. There was natural events that kept the army from total failure. Whether it was the dense fog that was obscuring their escape, a storm preventing the British army from reaching them, or a strong current that kept the enemy ships at bay, it appeared that God's hand was at work. It appeared this way. Now, the hand of God is not a phrase that we hear discussed all that much anymore. used to be a lot more. A lot of things used to be preached. It's not preached anymore. Now we're all into preaching on the positive things, or at least what we consider positive things, like, you know, name it, claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever you want to say. You know, it's, it's all people want to hear anymore. But we're going to talk about the hand of God because the hand of God is what's really important. And when we go along with the hand of God, we're going to talk about the finger of God. Both are attached. A very similar expression, the finger of God, can be found in Scripture several times. Now, these combined phrases are used to describe God's sovereignty. Or, if you don't get the word, His control. He's in charge. And that's to describe that He is in charge. And how He miraculously provides for His children. That's who we are. Aren't you glad you're a child of God? Aren't you glad you know Him? Aren't you glad He's a part of your life? Aren't you glad you're a part of His? Hallelujah! So acts of power and provision all originate from the hand and the fingers of God. All of it originate from there. The inexplicable and the calamitous, the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly. 
All of it. All are explained as coming from the hand and the fingers of God. And for those who walk with God, there is a sense, now hear me, that we trust in God who is sovereign and is in total control. I know that His hand is out there. And I don't always grasp it, but I know it's there. And I know when I need Him the most and when I get over myself a little bit, I can reach out and I can feel His hand is a class mine. I know that He's there. I know He's in control. Praise God. The Apostle Peter gives us the bottom line of the Christian life. He says we are stewards, but you are not a steward of the trivial. You're not, you're not a steward of just some little know-nothing nothing. You are a steward of something that is mighty. It's the treasure, if you would, of the Almighty. It's what God has invested in us. That is what we are a steward of. Do you know how much that God trusts you? We talk about trusting God, but do you realize how much that He trusts you? Do you realize what He's invested in you? We are the caretakers of His abundant mercies and His mysteries. Because of this, we pay a price for this great privilege. Our lives should be marked with humility. Submission is the golden key of relationships with the younger, deferring to the older, and with all giving deference to each other. Pride pushes people from God, but humility draws people to Him. Humility draws people to Him. Peter then commands us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Like no other apostle, none, Peter has insight into this. He has insight because of two events in his life. And these are, 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 are they, they form bookends to this understanding. The first is found as he walks towards Jesus on the stormy sea of Galilee. Simon Peter took his eyes off our Lord's beckoning hand and he focused on the wind and the waves. When we focus on the adversity more than on the Almighty, we should be prepared to sink. When you look at nothing else but what you're enduring, then be prepared to sink. But when you see beyond the calamity, when you see beyond the wind and the waves, then be prepared to go somewhere. Because my God can cause you to be able to rise above anything. My God can cause you to get above the adversity. All we have to do is focus on the hand and say, God, I believe in you. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to go where you lead me. I'm going to be where you want me to be. The second event was in the garden when Simon Peter thought his sword was more powerful than God's hand. Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels to save him. When we trust in the arm of the flesh, folks, more than the arm of God, we're bound. We're bound to be ashamed. We're going to be ashamed when I think I can do it. I'm going to be ashamed when I think that whatever I've got in mind without Jesus Christ being in control, without Jesus Christ being the leading factor, then I'm going to fail. But when I trust in the arm of the Lord, when I trust in the hand of the Lord, when I trust in His fingers grasping mine, then guess what's going to happen? My friends, something great is going to occur. I may not like it immediately. I may not understand where he's leading me. But if I take his hand, he's going to lead me in the right pathway. We lose sight of his hand. And we do it often. 
You remember, remember when Israel was in her pilgrimage from Egypt to Canaan land, and she constantly forgot what God had just done for her. Speaking of these people, the psalmist said, How off? How off did they provoke me in the wilderness? How often did you do it? And you grieved me in the desert. You did all this. Yeah, you turned your back and you tempted God and you limited the Holy One of Israel. Whenever we think that God is not going to do it for us regardless of our, uh, our motive, then we limit Him. We limit Him. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not done uh, not well enough. I've, I've walked after the flesh and not after the Spirit. I realize all that. But why not just try? Why not just say, God, forgive me for the things that I've done wrong and lead me the right direction. I'm not going to limit you anymore. God, if you can get glory out of this, and I know you will be willing to do it. You see, the problem is that somehow we forget that God gets glory out of good things that He does for us as much as we get the good things. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the fields of Zoan. And he learnt, turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. And he led them on safely so that they feared not. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of the sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. You see... He brought them to a place that His right hand purchased. The place of safety has always been purchased by the hand of God. That's why He was stretched out on the cross. Joining the world. Oh, you never heard that one before. One of them was worldly, carnal. But the other one said, remember me this day in paradise. He joined to the other. Don't you ever forget that. If there's anything you can need to remember tonight, remember that one. Because that's exactly what he did. He still connects the world to the church. If the world wasn't connected, they could never be saved. <laughs> one translation says that God led them like a flock. He led them with his mighty hand, but like them we forget the power of his hand. And why is that? Why, why do we do that? You know why? Because we can't track him. We can't, we can't, we can't track him. So we don't trust him. I can't track him. So I don't trust him. And since his ways are higher than ours, and we do not often understand what he's doing, we tend to forget about his power. Turn me up again up here. I'm straining again. Don't worry about these guys. If they have to hold their ears, don't worry about them. Just turn it up. There you go. <clears throat> Yet, if the acts of God... Now, now, follow me. If the acts of God were always understood by the mind of man, then could we rightly say that they were of God? If everything that God did we understood, then we couldn't really say that they were of God. Because we understand them. The longer you serve God, the more time that you, you spend in prayer, the more time you spend in fasting, the more you begin to understand that you can't understand everything that God does. 
And Isaiah said, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Then we should cry with Paul, oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. I can't figure out all the things that God is doing. You know, and you're in the church, and you're the pastor of the church, and you don't know what God is doing here. You don't know what God's doing here. You have a glimpse, maybe just a, a little glimmer of something that God's trying to do, but how He does it with them and how He does it with Him may be two different ways of approaching the same thing. Because God understands what He's made of. He understands what they're made of. He understands what you're made of. He knows how to deal with you. I don't always know that. God did not ask for us to explain Him. He did not ask for us to understand Him, chart Him. All He wants us to do is trust Him. That's all He wants us to do. God is busy working good in our lives. Charles Swindoll said this. He said, what is God doing? He's saving. He's rescuing. He's blessing. He is providing. He's judging. He is healing. He is enlightening. And there is spiritual war in process and all-out moral battle. There is evil and cruelty, unhappiness and illness. There is superstition and ignorance, brutality and pain. But God is in a continuous and energetic battle against all of it. God is for life and against death. God is for love and against hate. God is for hope and against despair. God is for heaven and against hell. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square foot of space is a contest. Every square feet of foot of ground is a contest. God is in a contest. And let me tell you, with God, if God be for you, then who in the world can be against you? If God be with you, who in the world can overcome you? You make a choice every day when you get up. I'm going to work and live for God today. I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to have anybody take me from the place that I am right now because God is with me. God loves me and God can continue to fight the battle for me. You know when you lose sight of God's hand? You lose sight of God's hand when you start focusing on your own. You begin to see how somebody is doing you wrong. You begin to see how you're not getting your way. You begin to see, I don't understand why in the world God's done this to me. I don't understand why I don't have a million dollars in the bank and I don't have everything I need and the pastor makes me mow the yard every week. You're looking at your own hand. You're looking at your own weariness. You're looking at all those things that you just don't understand why in the world God's doing it. When all along God is saying, Oh, I'm still right beside you. I've got a plan for you, honey. I know what I'm going to do with you. If you could just understand and shut your mouth and quit looking at your own hand, then I'll do for you what I said I will do. We walk by sight, not by His might. That's what messes us up. We look at what's around us, and we forget about the might of God. You know, in God's economy, a thousand years is like a day. We live for God for 50 little tiny years, and we don't get things our way. And we think, and we, we gripe at everything and everybody. Make Brother Fox miserable. Make Brother Hill even more miserable. You know, just make everybody miserable because you're not getting your way. And you don't understand. Well, we were God all my life. What is your life? 
It is a vapor. It's here but a moment. Then it passeth away. What makes you think that all that God does depends on your happiness? You see, if you quit looking at your own hand and quit walking by your own sight and start walking by His might, you would find out it's not all about you, honey. Oh, man, I feel that one. That was a good one. I got about 12, I got about 12 darts right square dab in the chest on that one. But I got my armor on. Now today's armor, I'm going to rewrite that sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians and put Kevlar vest in it. Simon Peter contends that those who trust God live a life of humility before Him and before others. Now this is the bottom line of the Christian life. This is the bottom line. Five times in Scripture do we read of the finger of God. Each instance illustrates how we are to live a life of humility and simple trust in God. Let's look at this for a minute. Will you, will you do that with me? We're going to look at the first finger. And I want to set the stage here. Moses had gone to Egypt. He demanded Israel's release. Pharaoh refuses and the plagues come. The first plague, the Nile River turns to blood. Egypt's magicians mimic the plague, so Pharaoh ignores Moses. The second plague, frogs take over the land. By hook or by crook, Egypt's magicians mimic the plague, so Pharaoh again ignores Moses. The third plague, lice attack Egypt. Egypt's magicians get to, to work, but try as they might, they cannot duplicate this. Not a single lousy louse comes out of anything that the magicians do. In Exodus 8:19, it says, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. The third plague brought revelation. The third plague brought revelation to Egypt's magicians. They realized they were not dealing with fellow tricksters, but with something much more powerful. The first finger of God's sovereignty is that He reveals. I want to say something a little bit prophetic right now, because in my heart from the very beginning of this, I feel like that each one of these is going to reflect on one individual here this evening. Because right now, God would like to reveal something to one person in here. I mean, all of you can get revelation, but one in specific person is God wants to reveal something that you have tried to push away, that you have tried to ignore, that you have tried, you've pushed it aside, and you think that you're above it because you keep looking at your own hand. You're not looking at the finger of God here that God is trying trying to reveal something to you. And you know who you are. You know exactly who you are, who I'm talking to. After Jesus calmed the storm, one question burned on the lips of the disciples. What manner of man is this? When God's mighty hand is revealed, the eyes of spiritual understanding are open. You know, there are times when you think you have all the spiritual understanding you need, that you're above everything else, and you get some little old, uh, little old kid that comes over and gives you some kind of dramatic, wise, wisdom-filled word that you can't understand why you didn't know that to begin with. That's God's ways. That's how God, that's how His finger works. That's how his hand uh, shows you and reveals things to you. Do something like this. And what you have to do, be willing to do is to allow whatever it is that God is trying to show you to soak into your heart. Oh, I wish you could get this. I feel, so, I, I feel you're, you're, you're resisting me. Go ahead. Go ahead and resist. Just because you're an old person, that doesn't mean you have a right to resist. Now, now you know who I'm talking to is an old person. One more example of this can be found in Scripture. 
when Jesus transformed mud into eyes. You didn't know that, did you? Everybody thinks he just put mud on eyes. What he did was transform mud into eyes. Yeah, yeah, it was mud into eyes. He told the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And guess what he did that with? Reached down the mud. Got a finger of mud. Ever done this? When you kids do this, get a little finger of mud. Wait till your mom and dad's turn around and... Like that. Spit on it and really makes it good. Spit on it. Wall it around with your finger. Flip it around. So Jesus did that blind man. He said, I'm going to let my finger design you a new set of eyes on a mud. That's what I'm going to do. Do you realize what God can do? Do you know how many times God has taken something dirty and tried to make something out of you? What are you talking about, Robert? She said, I'll do something dirty. No, I didn't say that. I'm saying sometimes it takes you getting down and getting a little bit dirty and doing some things you really don't want to do. Oh, and there's some more good preaching. Thank you. Mm. So what does God's finger bring? It brings a fresh vision. A fresh vision. And when we humble ourselves before that mighty hand, we find ourselves seeing things we could not imagine. What keeps you from seeing what you would like to see? What keeps you from allowing God to reveal to you the angels that are around us right now? Why? Because you've not allowed the finger of God to form some new eyes. Paul said in Galatians 1, he said, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Before the Damascus road, Paul had been blinded. But when he was humbled by God's mighty hand, revelation came. We speak, we speak, but God convinces. We labor, but God brings results. We sow, but God giveth the increase. Our hands are at work, but it is His hand that reveals something of eternal value. And it always will be. The second finger, God rules. Moses camping out on Mount Sinai is instructed. He will remain there for 40 days as God meets with him. During this time, God reveals the rules for right living. And he gave unto Moses in Exodus 31, and when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. In the Old Testament, God's finger traced his rules on tables of stone. But in the New Testament, he does it in the fleshly tables of the human heart. You understand something. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it was God's finger that began to write on your heart. He began to write on your heart. And guess what? As you continue to grow, as you continue to understand, God continues to write there. Jericho was talking about after she got the Holy Ghost, she began to study, and God began to reveal to her things that she never could understand before through the power of the Holy Ghost. What was happening? Through the Holy Ghost, God's finger was writing right here on the tables of her heart. <laughs> through His hand, He rules. As we live out his life, we see his righteousness within. His character and nature grow in our lives. The one who acts right and who is holy replicates this in our own lives. Angelo Cicilino. Good name, wasn't it? I bet you he was uh, Italian. But he was also a 98-pound weakling. Many of you, if you've been, 98-pound weakling. And he determined to pattern himself after the statues of the mythological gods. He succeeded and become what was then considered to be one of the world's most perfectly developed men. 
He went by the name of Charles Atlas. Now, think about that. He made a decision to pattern his body after mythological gods, Greek gods. And he did it. He did it. Atlas became like the gods after which he patterned himself. We do too. We become after the one that we pattern ourselves after. We become that. If we place ourselves under the scepter of his mighty hand, we will see God at work in our own lives. We will see that. We will, we will be righteous and holy. We'll live the way we want to, but we have to pattern ourselves after him. It can't be after our desire, our wants. It can't be after the arm of flesh. It has to be after him. The third finger. God's people were taken into bondage for failing to worship the one true God. The temple's sacred vessels were brought by Belshazzar to use in a drunken party. The Bible says that with these vessels they praised the false gods worshipped by Babylon. But the one true God had something to say about that. He decided to write it. And Daniel 5, 5, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote as the fingers of God traced his message to these wicked people. It was a sovereign reminder that God judges. It's a reminder that the finger of God also judges. When God picks up the gavel, men are called to judgment for their sins. Don't you think that what you're getting away with right now, you're going to always get away with. Because God still judges. He still picks up the gavel. Oh, you've heard it. I've heard it. People say it they all the time. I don't believe a living God would judge people or send them to hell. You colonials over there in America, how could you have a God that judges thusly? We in Mary O. England, we believe that our God doesn't do such things. We practice fornication, gay rights, all these other things that we shouldn't do. We practice all those, and we never get judged by God. Let me tell you something, folks. Let me, let, let me, let me inject something here. It doesn't matter if we get away with something for 50 years. God keeps a book of everything that we're doing. And judgment will come. And yes, thank God we're living in grace and thank God for His mercy and thank God for forgiveness because anything I've ever said, there are people in here that's practiced things that are horrible. Horrible. I don't even want to think about some of the things that I've done in my life. I don't like to think about it. I, I know it's... But God's mercy was there, and mercy is here now. But that does not change the fact that one day God's finger will be in judgment. As he wrote on the walls of Belshazzar's palace, he will also again judge us. Of God's sense of justice, the minor prophet Micah summarized what God requires of each of us. In Micah 6, 8, What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? The trustful, faithful Abraham knew that the God of heaven would be just. When life is not fair, God is just. For those who humble themselves before God's mighty hand, they're judging themselves that they might not be judged. We either fall on the rock now or have it fall on us one day. Because one day, judgment will come. And no matter what, as I brother, he'll preach it so well last Sunday night about hell, we need to understand that there is a hell. 
And it's because if you think I'm being rough in what I'm saying now, it's because I love people enough to not want to see them go there. Fourth finger. God enables. After Jesus had cast out the devil, a crowd accused him of doing this in the power of Beelzebub. Jesus rebuked them and said in Luke eleven twenty, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jesus has seen God's power to save. His kingdom is not in word, but in power. In 1 Corinthians four twenty. When we humble ourselves before God's hand, He enables us to do what we ordinarily could not do. We have power to be set free. We have power to be delivered from old habits and phobias. We have power to walk in the newness of life. Don't sit back there on me right now. Don't sit back there and think, I'm not sure I can give up the old life. Don't sit back there and think that you're going to have somebody draw you back into it. The power that you can have through the baptism of the Holy Ghost can keep you. And if you fail, it can restore you. We have power to live a life above reproach. We have power to live it above. Hear me. And such power. We are no longer weaklings. We have His hand. We are no longer insufficient. We have His provision. We are strengthened with the power of His might. As we humble ourselves under His mighty hand, our hands are strengthened. I know that I am more powerful now than I've ever been, but in my body I'm weaker. Why? Because there's something inside of me that's desiring to be set free. Because it's God's power that enables my spirit and my soul that we go far beyond anything that I could ever do and by my own strength and by my own hand. When we cannot do it, He can do it through us. Fifth finger. He forgives. We arrive at the fifth finger of God's hand. And if we stopped, if we stopped at four, we'd be at the number of the world in Scripture. But to four, we add one. One is the number of God in Scripture. Five is the number of His grace. When we humble ourselves before God's mighty hand, we find that He is gracious to forgive. God's favor to the miserable is mercy. God's favor to the poor is pity. God's favor to the suffering is compassion. His favor to the obstinate is patience. And His favor to the unworthy is forgiveness. That's what Jesus showed through His life. I want you to think of the instance in John 8. Think about this. John 8, starting with verse 4, says, They say unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that should we be that she should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and started writing love letters in the sand. And he did it like he didn't even hear him. He didn't even hear him. And he still writes love letters in the sand. Jesus would bid the one without sin to cast the first stone, but guess what? Not one stone flew that day. Because that same finger 
that wrote the law now writes grace. That same finger that penned the commandments now writes compassion. That same finger that fixed laws into stone now writes forgiveness in the sands of time. God is gracious. God is loving and kind. And when we humble ourselves under His mighty hand, we find that forgiveness. If there's anything I could ever tell any minister in this place, regardless of what kind of ministry you have, one thing you need to understand is that you need to find God's hand and to humble yourselves under that hand. And you need to find forgiveness and you need to look at people and don't look at them like I look at you. But look at them the way God looks at them. Remember, his blood has covered that person regardless of what that person's done. He still sees through the blood. (laughs) Humility is taking God's hand. If you really want to humble yourself, that is the time you need to take his hand. And this is a trust issue. A trust issue. We don't humble ourselves before someone we don't trust. We just don't do it. Humility is a sign that we trust God to take care of us. And Jesus demonstrated this. He said a child in the midst of the crowd, and he said, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That is the option that God gives us. We either look to Him or we lean on our own understanding. We either trust God to work it out or we try to work it out all by ourselves. Two arms, the arm of the flesh and the arm of the Spirit. Two minds, the carnal mind or the mind of Christ. Two viewpoints, worldly or godly. Two hands, my hand or His hand. Music comes. I want you to give up and let God take over tonight as you stand with me. I'm finishing up as you stand. I'm finishing up as you stand. The opposite, the opposite of humbling ourselves is hardening our hearts. And as your head is bowed with me for just a few moments, I want you to listen to my words. Where are you today? Where are you? If there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness, anger, grudges, and pride in your heart, you're trusting in yourself. If you find forgiveness, peace, joy, compassion, and humility in your heart, then you're leaning on God. Recently, there was a sign I read about it hanging in a Christian bookstore. And it read like this. Humble yourself under His magnificent provision. Watch Him take our cares from our shoulders. Did you hear that? Humble yourselves under His magnificent provision. And watch Him take our cares from our shoulders. Guess what tonight, folks? His hand is ready to do that for you. He's ready to do that for you. This altar is open. Have you taken His hand recently? Have you pushed it away? 
Have you been leaning on Him? Do you have the compassion and forgiveness and the mercy that you need? Are you full of yourself? Worried about things you shouldn't worry about? Thinking you can't overcome? No, you can't. I can say this firsthand. You cannot overcome anything on your own. You can't. But if you take His hand this evening, He will begin to lead you in the way that you can overcome. Would you come? Would you come to this altar this evening? Would you come? Would you put yourself aside? Would you humble yourself? Bow your knees at this altar. And make a decision this evening that says, I'm going to take His hand. I'm going to let Him lead me in the pathways of righteousness. I'm going to let Him lead me through the waters of baptism. I'm going to let Him lead me that I may receive that wonderful baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I'm going to let Him lead me. And for some of you that have been in church for many years, maybe you have also uh, begun to do things by your own strength and begin to perceive things with your own eyes. You no longer see things through the supernatural eyes. You've not allowed His finger to renew your vision. Would you come this evening? Would you come? trying to keep my eyes closed. I just want to feel. I want to look at the altar and see who's down here. I want to feel who needs to come down here. Would you come? Would you come this evening? There's a desperation in this last hour, in this last day. There's a desperation. I believe that any minister that truly loves people will begin to feel that desperation. That you will begin to understand that there's not a lot of time and for so many people to put things off. To be concerned about peer pressure. To be concerned about friends. People that you might lose. When I came to God, I lost a few friends, but God gave me a whole lot more. A whole lot more. And believe it or not, some of those friends that I lost came back and started asking questions because they saw the difference. Would you come this evening? Would you come? Would you come and bow your head? Let God renew you. Let God give you something that you've never had before. Would you come? I want God's hand. I want His finger to renew my vision. I need His finger to give me revelation. And His finger to write upon my heart. Just like He wrote on those tables of stone. Would you come? I won't make it lengthy, not any more than I have to. I want you to hear my words, and when I lay this mic down, I'm not closing the altar. This altar remains open. I want some of the ministry to gather in around some of these people that are praying down here. Begin to pray. There's some people in here that desperately need, I can feel this, that desperately need to find the hand of God once again, to have the finger of God begin to open their eyes, to begin to write some things upon their heart. And to begin for them to begin to take it all over again, to take his hand in theirs and allow him to lead them the way that he wants to. As the singers begin to sing, this altar remains open. Lord bless you all. If you must talk, please do not talk in the, in the sanctuary. Go out into the vestibule because there are people that are dealing with things that are eternal at this altar this evening. So don't ever forget that. Lord bless you.